guys. I can't believe, first of all, these lights are extremely bright. Um, I can't believe we're at the end. I feel like we just started like two weeks ago. So everything that Sarah said and they said about community guys is true. Remember that we want to have real relationships, so there'll be little informal gatherings, I'm sure. But if you're feeling like lonely and you want to connect, make sure you reach out because we don't want anyone to feel isolated, especially during the holidays. Um, and everybody here is loving and wants to know if you're struggling so we can love on you. Okay? You can text me, you can text your leader, and um, we do want to hear from you. Alrighty. Well, you guys ready? Let's go. Alright, so Jesus was a disappointment. I don't know if you guys knew that about him. Um, when Jesus was born, Israel was occupied by Rome. So here's the situation, like socially, politically, this is what was happening. The land of Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. They had a couple of like puppet kings in like the northern parts that his Herod and his brother, and then they had a governor in Jerusalem, one of which was Pontius Pilate. And so Rome was really doing what they did best, which was tax the people in the lands that they were able to conquer. Um, they were taxing a lot. People were upset. They were feeling a little bit um, overwhelmed by the economic pressure. Um, that's why Matthew, who's a tax collector, is, is talked about in scripture as being like not people's favorite person because the taxes were heavy. And um, if like a certain area couldn't pay taxes, Rome would go get it from other places like um, for example, the temple treasury. They did that. So Rome was not everybody's favorite organization, shall we say. And the priests and the rabbis had interpreted the prophecies of who the Messiah was going to be and who the Messiah would become in a certain direction. And ancient Israel and modern-day Israel, ancient Judaism and modern-day Judaism, interpret this the same way today. So they look at the, the passages in the Old Testament and they look at this as, as the Messiah being a political leader. So there's a scripture on the top of your notes page, and it's out of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, 5. And it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now we can read that, and we can apply it to Christ really easily, right? But they read that, and they apply it to an actual physical king, like a leader, like a political leader. And so, as Rome was taxing people harshly, and we do know this because there were a lot of people like Josephus and some other historians who were commenting and writing down what was happening, so the extra biblical writers of that time period who agree with and say this is what was happening at the time. Rome was taxing people and using temple treasures, and the people of Israel are not happy, they want relief. They want relief from economic hardship. They want relief from government that they hate and don't want. And they keep looking and praying for this king, this political leader to rise up and save them. And so over time, Israel, during this time period, several different people would rise up and lead a revolt. And people would be like, oh, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the Messiah. So in Acts 5, there's an interesting passage. And this is, um, I forget the name of the leader, but he's one of the Sanhedrin. And he's... This is the, the Sanhedrin was the Jewish governing body. So he is talking to them and he says this, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. So what's happening is that a few of the apostles are on trial with the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel. 
So they thought Jesus has died, he's come back to life, and now the apostles are out preaching and teaching who Jesus was. And so they're in front of the Sanhedrin. He says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas? This kind of weird name, like, sounds too much like Judas. I don't know. Anyway, Judas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. And he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you to leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So I think this is so interesting. Because the census that they're referencing there is the census that takes Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. So the year that Christ is born is the year there's a revolt happening against Rome. And so this is the Sanhedrin's test. Is this the Messiah? We don't know. If it works out, maybe. If it fails, definitely not, right? So they're just kind of like sitting back and waiting for something to work. And it happened over and over and over again. In fact, after Jesus died and rose again, there was another revolt um, led by a man called um, Maccabee that failed, and that was one of the precursors um, to Rome coming back and just kind of taking the temple down for the last time. So, as I said, Judaism, modern Judaism still believes that the Messiah will be a political leader and king, and there are four things that they look at for the sign of his return. The first one is gathering of exiles into Israel. They believe that the Messiah will take scattered Israelis, scattered Jews, Jewish people from all over the world and bring them back to the land of Israel. The second is a rule of justice. They believe he'll come back and he'll implement the law. The third is a rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And the fourth, is a restoration of the line of King David. Which all of these things actually, as Christ followers, we also are on board with. We just see them a little bit differently. But does any of this sound familiar to you guys? Like, does any of these, like, social, economic, political turmoil, does any of this sound familiar? Like, is anyone unhappy with the economy right now? Gas prices? <laughs> are people tired of the government? Is there armed revolt? And not just the United States, all over the world. I mean, the news is full of armed revolt every other day. This was the atmosphere that Jesus was born into and that he walked in and lived in. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the one that Israel had been looking for. And he was born in a stable on a straw. He was the king, and he refused over and over for people to fight for him or place him in a, a political place of leadership. He was a disappointment to the people who were waiting for him. He wasn't what they wanted. The people wanted immediate physical relief in the tangible world that they lived in. And he said his kingdom was not of this world. John 6 says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And this is Jesus healing people and feeding people and doing miracles. And they're like, oh my gosh, finally, the Messiah, right? 
And so they're making plans, and Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this happens a few times in the Gospels, where Jesus does something miraculous or has a big moment. And people are like, this is the guy, we're going to put him in charge, we're going to go against Rome. And he's like, we're not. We're not. And it's the principle of the upside-down kingdom that we belong to. That Jesus, being God incarnate, chose to be low, they chose to be humble, and he chose to be a disappointment. And not powerful and not mighty, according to the world. So let's pray for a second, guys, and then we'll really dig in. Father, um, I just want tonight to be honoring you. I want us to think rightly about how you think about our world and about politics and government and how we fit into it as people who live in a tangible world. How do we fit into it as citizens from another country, as pilgrims that are passing through? So God, I just need your help. I would ask for your help to say things that are only true about you. Um, and Lord, I would just ask for your word to instruct us and that we would be soft and willing to listen to it. In your name, amen. So Israel was looking for another Moses, basically. They wanted another Moses to come and set them free. And God sent them Jesus because true freedom is not found in political realities, but in spiritual ones. It's a really important concept, you guys. True freedom is not found in political realities, but in spiritual ones. I think we think that revolution is like very special and only happens once in a while. I, I really thought that. And then I started to like research it a little bit and dig into it because we, we all know the American Revolution. I'm sure we learned about the French Revolution in, in history, right? So there are a few revolutions that we know about and we think of them as like world-changing big events. But people who studied it, and there's a paper that appeared in, in the Journal for Humanities and Social Sciences and they studied revolution in the 20th century, and they found something interesting, guys. In the 20th century, there were 125 revolutionary events around the world. And this is a chart of the kinds of revolutions that they discovered. Some of them were democratic, some of them were communist, some of them were religious, um, some of them were anti-monarchist or ethno-political. There's like all these different categories. But that was like shocking to me. I was like, Hundred and twenty-five? There's only a hundred years in a century. That means there was more than one revolutionary event around the world in a century. There was one a year at least, more than one. And so we tend to think of revolutions as like these great isolated movements that change history, but what if in fact of you know, there's a few, but what if in fact been more than than the isolated great events, they're actually a normal part of the human existence. They're part of our DNA and humanity. What if revolution is something that happens because we crave political safety and power? This is a question I have. And I think that there's a, a true answer to it if that's found in scripture. I think part of it is that political power is like a tangible, measurable thing, right? If you have power and you have a leader and you can create change in your circle or in your world or in your country, that feels safe. That feels secure, that feels like control. 
And following Jesus, who we can't see, and we can't touch, and most of us don't tangibly, like, audibly hear him. Some of us do. That's harder. It's harder to put your faith in something you can't see than it is to put your faith in something that you can. So Jesus said, when he was talking to his disciples, blessed are those, he's talking actually, I think to Thomas, because remember how Thomas like touched his side, and he's like, blessed are you because you've seen and believe, and then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Because he knows, guys. Jesus, when he came, he knew he was disappointing everybody's expectations of who he was gonna be. And he knew it was gonna be hard for us who are physical beings in a physical world to believe in the unseen and put all of our hope in that. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's so hard to trust what we can't see. And that's the definition of faith. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And our confidence, I think, is in heaven. Sorry guys, I thought I had to slide that, but I don't. So our hope is in Jesus Christ, and our confidence is in heaven. It's a lot easier for us to trust what we can touch and measure. Israel and Judah were corrected for that over and over again in the Old Testament. In Hosea, Hosea 5.13, this is God talking to Judah. It says, When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his sword, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he's not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. This is one tiny example out of many in the Old Testament where the kingdoms of Israel and Judah turned to Assyria and Babylon and all of these other things and other kings instead of turning to God when they needed help. Because it's human nature to reach out for something that we can see, something we can touch, to reach out for security and power. And Israel in the Old Testament, you guys, <laughs> Israel is us and we are them. I don't know if you guys know that, but the kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament is just basically a picture of humanity as a whole and how we interact with God. We're stubborn, we're foolish, we trust in the wrong thing over and over and over again while God is holding out his hands to us and saying, trust in me. We're like, but I can see this. I can touch this. This makes me feel safe. I took this definition of the Messiah from a website that teaches Judaism. It says, the Messiah, will be a great political leader descended from King David. The Messiah is often referred to as Messiah and David, which is son of David. He will be well-versed in Jewish law, observant of its commandments. He will be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow his example. He will be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. He will be a great judge who makes righteous decisions, but above all, he will be a human being not a god, demigod, or other supernatural being. And here's the thing. That's not just the Jewish people. That's all of us at some level. How many times have we thought, this charismatic leader, or that one, is going to be the one that changes my situation? Changes my life, changes my world, changes my country. 
And we don't even have to put it in like a political box. What about charismatic preachers and teachers? Right? How many people have been put on pedestals that were too high for them and they've fallen off because they were put in places they shouldn't have been put? How many times have we thrown our hope and our faith behind a human being? We know the truth about Jesus, but still the tangibility of a human we can see and touch and listen to is a really powerful temptation. So here's my question. I feel like like the case has been made for who the Messiah was supposed to be, and then how he was not that, and that wasn't what the people of Israel wanted. They were disappointed in him. But my question is, is if revolution and politics and government are not the places we're supposed to put our faith and our hope, how do we have a mindset towards them that's appropriate and right? So we're going to look at another scripture. This is Jesus talking to Pontius Pilate, and we're going to go through four things that really, I think, shape our mindset, or can shape our mindset, if, we are, if we're not just sitting there listening, and then we'd be like, okay, that's good, check the box, we're going our way, but if we really apply them to our hearts, Jesus says in John, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So guys, the first way that we do this is we hold the mindset that the kingdom we belong to is not an earthly kingdom. It's not a country. It's not a political party. It's not any person except the person of Jesus Christ. Because every human being will fail and fall and is subject to temptation and is a sinner. There's one perfect man, and his name is Jesus. It's the upside down kingdom. We want power and display and grand moments, and Jesus comes to us in a manger riding on a donkey, and he goes to the cross. The next one is out of Philippians 3. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I don't honestly go through my day thinking, I am a citizen of heaven. It's not something that I'm like, yep, I read the news and I go, I'm a citizen of heaven. It doesn't affect me. I read the news and I get mad. And this is a struggle where I'm constantly asking God, Lord, help me to have this mindset that my hope is not in what does or doesn't happen in the news or in our political situation. So number two, we remember that our citizenship and our security is in heaven. And this is where faith enters the picture where we talked about from Hebrews. Faith is hoping for what we don't see. It's the confidence in what we hope for. And for me, if I was sitting there listening to me, guys, I'd be like, okay, how do I have confidence? It doesn't mean you have to feel something, guys. I'm not saying like manufacture a feeling. I'm saying that when those moments come, when you're reading the news, or you hear somebody say something, and you get mad and upset, or you get afraid, to just take a moment and step back and be like, my security is not in what's happening right now. No matter what happens around me, I am secure. It's a choice. It's a choice to remember, and it's a choice to speak the promises of God 
over us. Because if our security is in heaven and this temporary world loses its mind, it's temporary insanity, guys. We're all going to be okay. It's just temporary insanity. That's how I think of it. Romans 13 says this, number three. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So this third part of the mindset that we're supposed to have as Christ followers in regards to government and politics and authority is that we live as good citizens, respecting the authority and government in the places that we live. The exception to that is when that authority commands us to worship anything other than God or to stop proclaiming Christ. So if you guys remember the Old Testament, have you guys heard the story about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and the big fire furnace, and the idol? I'm going to tell you the story. Okay. So these two guys in the Old Testament, they were in Babylon, um, they built this big idol, the, the guy who built the idol of himself was like, worship the idol. They were like, we're not going to do that. So he's like, well, you're going to go into the fiery furnace. And they're like, peace. So they went to the fiery furnace. They got thrown in. And then Jesus appears in the middle of the furnace. And he's walking with them. That's a great miracle. I don't know. But in every situation, if we're asked to worship something other than Christ, that he will show up and save us from what that is. That he will always be there with us in it. That's our confidence. He will always be there with us in it. So we respect authority unless they ask us to do something that is contrary to who we worship or makes us stop or asks us to stop proclaiming Christ. That does not mean that we have to agree with the government or think that everything that they do is right. Rome was a secular and a godless empire. Caesar thought he was a god. But yet, Jesus paid his taxes to Caesar. And he did not lead a revolt against Rome. He submitted to the authority of Rome when they crucified him. This is a hard road for us, guys, because it's countercultural, especially right now. Especially right now. No matter where you land on the political spectrum, everybody thinks they're right. Am I wrong? Like, everybody thinks they're right. I'm like, no, guys, we can't all be right when all of us have very different ideas about what right is. The idea of submitting to authority is not a popular, not a taught, not a feel-good kind of thing, especially in this current climate that we live in, but it is the Christ-like thing to do. It is the Christ-like thing to do. And if we love Jesus and we worship him, then we submit unless they ask us to sin. Number four. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. This is my, this is my biggest question, because I have a high justice thing in me, and I'm like, well, if we're not to engage in politics as a way to like put our hope and faith in changing the world, 
then how do I not engage with politics when I want to change the world? <laughs> that was my question, because I'm like, well, so here's the answer. Engaging in political debate, our process is not wrong when our motivation is to help those in need. It goes back to the motivation of the heart, guys. What's the motivation? Are you engaging, am I engaging in politics as the place we're putting our security and our hope? Or are we engaging in, in politics to help our neighbor, to help those in need, to continue to pursue the gospel? If we look to politics for security, if our political party is our hope, or our individual charismatic leader is where we're looking to for wisdom, then we have gone astray. The truth is that men are men, and women are women, and we all get it wrong. So as the election approaches next week, and our national temperature goes up, I wanted to exhort us and encourage us a little bit as a body to be different. The scripture talks about the narrow way. It is a narrow way to not engage in Facebook debates when everybody's doing it. Or when you're reading someone and you're like, well, let me just tell you why you're wrong. Guys, on a regular basis, I have to shut my phone and put it down. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, nope. Our hope is not the politics of this country. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And our citizenship is in heaven. What if, no matter what happens next week, we are secure and firm on the foundation of our faith? No matter where you land, politically, what if your party loses? Or my party loses? What if, instead of that throwing us into a tailspin, we are secure and firm because our hope and our citizenship is in heaven? Or what if when someone in your family or your friend circle or your acquaintance circle says something that really gets under your skin and you let it go because it's not the most important thing in your day? What if we live our lives to help our neighbor and tell them about Jesus so that we can all be in the kingdom together? Because our world-changing revolution has already happened. There's only one revolution that matters for us, guys. And it happened on a cross and it happened in a tomb in Israel thousands of years ago. So I just want to encourage us to remember that next week and to remember that in the weeks and the months that are going to come. Because they're going to come with all kinds of turmoil. Like, I wish I could stand up here and be like, hey guys, everything's going to be great. Honestly, I wanted to have this talk and this conversation because I don't think that it's going to be great. I think that it's going to be hard for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And I want us as the church in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in this building, around our families and our friends to be the narrow way, to be different. And to remember that true freedom is not found in political realities, but in spiritual ones. Maybe you guys have noticed that there has been a fish theme for the study. I don't know if you guys have been like, why the fish? I'm gonna tell you why. In the Greek, that word, I have no idea how to say it, so I'm gonna just murder it. Ichibus? What is it? Ichithicus. 
You guys, she's a Bible major, global studies major. Um, it's the Greek word for fish. It is also the Greek letters that spell out Jesus Christ, Son of God's Savior. So, first century Christians who had to hide from Rome because they were being persecuted would see each other and they would draw the symbol of the fish to find out whether or not they were of the same community. And I just thought, guys, we need to be a lot like those first century Christians that were being persecuted, that were being killed, that were being, that were living their faith in a really difficult climate. And they said, this is the way. We're gonna put our hope in what we cannot see. So we're gonna make a craft to wrap up our night. I don't know where my thing went. I have an already made to show you guys. Um, is it over on that table? No, it's not the information desk. Thank you guys for looking for me. Oh, today. Thank you. Round of applause for today's day tonight. Thank you. Okay. In the back guys, there are these little wooden tabs. Um, and there are markers and beads. And on your table, there is cord and there is scissors. Um, you can make what you want. If you want to make a bracelet, you can. I made a little thing that I can hang in my car so I have a loop on the end that I can just like put it through and hang it from my visor. But I want you guys to make something that you can hang where you're going to see it in the next coming weeks. It just has a little fish symbol on it. I just put one bead on because I'm a simple kind of girl. But if you guys want to go crazy and bling it out, feel free. There's many beads. So I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to go pick up your, your craft stuff, and then we're going to talk about the questions. Go for it. It's all on the back table back there. <laughs> 